Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. I'm so glad to have you here with our teach show. We are a teach show, not just a talk show. And I just felt led this afternoon to specifically show and thank, show my gratitude and thank you for being here. Because in my humble opinion, you guys are the cream of the crop, right? You're not out following the other talking heads, looking to get your ears tickled and your blood pressure, you know, the high of having your blood pressure up while we, we banter about you know, this political party's fault, this political party's fault. And so I want us to make sure that we say thank you to you for being that thinking person, for wanting more than just the superficial uh, hype of the political rhetoric. I want to thank you for being more than 10 miles wide and one millimeter deep. So that's my thank you to you. Christian, I'm looking over at you, man, and you didn't wire up. So I'm going to give you a second to wire up because you know you have to do that. Christian is going to be, remember, we've talked about this. Christian is, is our man behind the wheel. And Christian's going to have a Christian cam coming up here shortly. JC's working on that in the background so we can have multiple camera angles as long as well as a Christian cam, not Christian religion, but Christian Christian. And you better turn up that mic if you're going to have it that low, man, because people cannot people can't hear you already. Okay, so. So very happy, again, to have you with us here today. Um, Oh, before it slips my mind, even though we are often pre-recording this show, I am more often than not watching the chat while the show is happening. Our schedule has just become so crazy that it can't always be sitting here at 6 p.m. when the show goes live. So unlike other talk show hosts, I'm just going to be up front with you. Some of our shows are pre-recorded, but I am watching the comments as they come in. So if you see somebody replying in the comments below, because we want you to like, we want you to share, we want you to comment below. Are you putting up the like and share thing for me there, Christian? Put a, uh, we want you to put your comments below. When you comment and I'm watching, I will comment. So if you see Chris Ann Hall commenting, that's really me. Even though you see me talking right now, I'm probably watching and commenting. And then I've also noticed that many of you are expressing the fact that you are missing JC. And I just want you to know that JC said to me, Christian, did you hear him? Yes, I did. He said, I will be on the show on Friday. So there you have it. The show on Friday, all of you that are hankering for a JC fix with JC will be on the show on Friday. So I wanted to talk to you today 
a little judicial follow-up. Do you remember the professor who sued his university because they fired him because he wouldn't use the pronouns he, she to refer to a transgendered woman? And so when they fired him, the Alliance Defending Freedom took up his case and sued them. Now, what happened, let me pull this up here. I have my computer with me today. I think this is probably going to be a more frequent prop here because it helps me keep on track. So Professor Merriweather, Professor Merriweather argued that it was contrary to his religious convictions and philosophical beliefs to refer to the transgendered woman as she. And the university claimed that he was creating a, quote, hostile environment for the unnamed student. Well, he filed a lawsuit against Shawnee State University in Ohio. That's the name of the university. And a court held in favor of Professor Merriweather and said that the that Shawnee State University was violating Professor Merriweather's free speech rights when they disciplined him. In a news release, ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, announced it had reached a settlement with Shawnee State as the university agreed to pay $400,000 in damages and Merriweather's legal fees. Now, we've talked about this case in the past, something we should keep our eyes on, but I want you to perhaps consider um, what this means out there, okay? So the settlement happened to prevent a higher court from actually creating a precedent, right? Right? So we're going to settle. Here's the statement from Shawnee State. It says um, that after four years of legal action, the university decided to make an economic decision to settle the case. Though we have decided to settle, they say, we adamantly deny that anyone at Shawnee State deprived Dr. Merriweather of his free speech rights or his rights to freely exercise his religion. The university said since the lawsuit was filed nearly four years ago, it became clear that the case was being used to advance divisive social and political agendas at a cost to the university and its students. The cost is better spent on fulfilling Shawnee State's mission of our service to our students and families and communities. Let me translate that for you in legal terms. We're not going to win. That's pretty much as a lawyer. We believe that there is a greater chance we will lose than we will win. So we're not going to take that chance that we will lose. And we'll just settle the case so we can say that it's not economically efficient for us to consume, to, to pursue this. That's what this is. But I want you to see what is happening. Teachers, 
perk up your ears. This establishes, even at a very small scale, a precedent that if you are a Christian in a government school and you are a Christian teacher in a government school, that you still will maintain your religious rights, free speech, your right to freedom of conscience. So see, it's really important that we pay attention to these things because I know if you're not a teacher listening to this show, you have to know teachers out there. And all the teachers who are afraid to stand up and say something. Remember the coach that was praying on the field who recently also got a victory in this. If you are a Christian and you are a teacher or a professor in a government school, the courts are finding that you do not surrender personal convictions, personal freedom of conscience when you accept employment. So what we need are some courageous teachers that are willing to take this even a little bit further and just simply stand up for what you believe in. This, there should be no more fear. By the way, if you're a Christian, don't you move in boldness? I mean, if you're a Christian and you're not moving in boldness, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you. Because if you do not possess boldness, then there is no evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. Just saying. Okay? Just my philosophical moment for you. My biblically sound moment for you. But you see, we do not, we have way too many teachers, way too many Christian teachers operating in the spirit of fear, which has put us in the situation that we're in. So you ever, you, you either believe in the power or you don't. And if you don't believe in the power, can I just be a little bold for you? Don't claim the name. Don't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit, please. Reflect on your salvation, please. Test and try it. And then ask for the boldness, the wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Because we do not operate in the spirit of fear. Our next story today. Uh, I thought this was a little bit interesting one because, you know me, I like taking these media deceptions and teaching you about them. Hey, guys, don't forget to like and share. Do it now while we're going, right? Like and share now while we're watching and leave your comments now while we're watching. Just a little side note there. Okay. So the next story uh, is titled Trump sorry, Trump-backed House candidate removed from ballot by Tennessee Republicans. Tennessee GOP voted to remove the former State Department spokesman Morgan Ortegas and others from the ballot. 
Now, when you see that headline, what's the first thing you want to think? Christian, let me ask you a question. When you see that headline, does the first thing you think that this woman did something wrong? That's why she was removed from the ballot for a Republican to be removed from the Republican ballot by Republicans. Wouldn't you assume that she probably did something wrong? Her picture looks like it. Wow, that's very interesting, Christian. You think her picture? Yeah, she looks upset. She looks upset. Yes. Now, from that picture, you think that that actually advances the idea that she did something wrong, and that's why she was kicked out? Yes. See, this is the manipulation. This is like the total picture of media manipulation. This is why we have to be not that 10 miles wide and a millimeter deep kind of person. We got to be the person that like scrolls beyond the headlines. Now, the majority of the people are going to be looking at, and especially the ones that, because this is NBC, right? You see the little, do they see the NBC logo up there? Uh, no. Let them scroll down so you can see that this is NBC. So NBC, right? So you know the people that are watching NBC or watching these news are probably people that don't like Republicans. I'm just saying, not to be stereotyping out there, but I'm just saying, right? Probably something like more than half. Okay, I'll just be generous. More than half of the people that watch NBC are not going to be people who are Republicans. And if they are Republicans, they're probably, you know, either looking for news like I do or just, you know, they're almost Republicans. They're not quite Republicans, right? Not quite conservatives. And so not to say, look, I hear you out there, not to say all Republicans are conservatives, not all Republicans are the same. But I just want to show you, I like showing teaching moments of the deception of media. Because when you scroll down, let me see. Let's see. Um, where is this? Uh, let's see. Let me find this really quick. Okay, right, right. Here we go. Just scroll down, Christian, to to the first paragraph. The Tennessee Republican Party voted Tuesday to remove former State Department spokesperson Morgan Ortegas and two other people from the August primary ballot in the state's 5th Congressional District. Notice how in the second paragraph it says she was endorsed by former President Donald Trump. See, there's your secondary notion, because Donald Trump is still a little, you know, floating that out there that he's going to run. So we got to slam Donald Trump. Look, one of his endorsements got kicked out and we saw the picture and she looks really sad. So she must have did something wrong. And the headline makes us think she did something wrong, too. Well, here it is. The vote marked the culmination of a month's effort by both GOP and legislators and activists to boot Ortega because she only had recently moved to the state. Are you catching this? Marked the culmination of months of effort by both the GOP legislators and activists to boot Ortegas because she had only lived in the recently moved into the state. It is their rules. It's the rules. 
It's to protect you from quote unquote carpetbaggers. If they don't check and they don't govern themselves, if they don't equally apply the rules, then they won't be able to apply the rules at all. So she is disappointed, but here's the bottom line. All she's got to do is stay to the next election and run again. So it's not she didn't do anything wrong. It's not because she's a terrible person. It's just because she didn't live there long enough. So let's just be clear. Let's just not be shallow. Let's actually look and see what happened. So do you guys remember on Monday, we talked about the U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel. If you go to my Instagram page, uh, to my Facebook page, there it is, U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel, an appointee of Donald Trump, because you know they got to put that in there, ruled, because you know they have to say that. I didn't say that. They said that. That neither the CDC, that the CDC neither properly explained its decision to impose the mandate nor followed proper rule-making procedures. And here's what she wrote. Because our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully, even in the pursuit of desirable ends, the court declares unlawful and vacates the mask mandate. Now, what we, what she did has sparked a flash fire of ire now they're all of the sudden coming at her to try to prove that she's some kind of idiot, that she doesn't know what she's talking about. There's a video on CNN, a video on CNN that talks about, that, that, that is a clip from a confirmation hearing, okay? So in this video clip of the confirmation hearing, Diane Feinstein is asking about number one, why is the American Bar Association saying you're not qualified because you've never had a jury trial, right? So let's just go ahead and play that, Christian. I'm not going to be able to hear it, right? Uh, you might be able to. Oh, okay. Well, let me, let me, let me hear it. Let me see. According it. to this letter from the Bar Association, tell me if this is true or false. Since her admission to the bar, Miss Mizell has not tried a case, civil or criminal, as lead or co-counsel. Of her four distinguished federal clerkships, one was in the trial court. So um, they. Uh, this is the first time I've read one of these in 26 years that finds somebody not qualified. And I'm puzzled by it. So if you could respond to that, I'd appreciate it. Senator, um, I, I cannot uh, speculate as to why the ABA um, wrote that particular uh, rating, um, I can just point to my record in court litigation um, and to the uh, support that I have from 
over 200 attorneys that have submitted uh, letters to this committee explaining that they've worked with me, they've witnessed my abilities, my work product, my integrity, and they support my nomination. Um, and so I, I think that is the, the best way I can respond is based off of my record and those who know me best and their support. So let me explain something to you from the beginning. Less, let me, let me phrase this in the most generous way that I can. 3% or less of the legal population in America, probably the lawyer population in America, 3% or less of the lawyers in America will have ever been in the courtroom. 3% or less will ever be involved in an actual trial. So the idea that the ABA declares that someone is not qualified to be a federal judge, by the way, she was obviously appointed. This video is from 2020. She is now a federal judge in the Middle District. So she was obviously appointed. So the Senate in 2020 obviously decided that this ABA trash did not override the actual record, right? Because the ABA says she's not qualified because she's not, she's not led a, a trial or been co-counsel in a trial. And what's interesting is, is that she's like, Mizell is like, I don't even know how to respond to that. Other than to say, look at my record and the court litigation that I've engaged in. The woman clerked for a Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. She had over 200 attorneys give recommendation for her for the federal court. And for whatever reason, the leftist woke progressive ABA says she's not qualified. Well, the first question that I want to ask you is, who is the ABA and why would they have an elevated opinion, a more valuable opinion to a state senator than the actual record of a judge's background and over 200 of her peers in recommendation? Well, I already told you, the ABA is a leftist woke hack, nonprofit, private nonprofit organization. They're not a government agency. They're a private nonprofit organization that tries to run around and dictate policy to politicians, to state bar associations, and to lawyers. They want to be king, and they're not. And so... Why is all of this surfacing now, right? Two years ago, this happened. Before Monday, nobody even knew who this woman was. She's been on the bench for two years, issuing opinion after opinion after opinion for two years. Now, all of a sudden, she's not qualified? Yeah, 
See, this is what happens when the leftist woke society gets triggered, you know, gets their feelings hurt. So then they have to just freak out. Now, the next article, look at this. Which one's up next, Christian? I can't remember. Um, You skipped like three. I did? Yeah. Oh, okay. The next one from the one you just did is the um, judge who tossed mask mandate. Oh, got it. All right. The judge who tossed the max mandate misunderstood public policy and health law legal experts say. You know, it's always interesting, the whole legal expert thing, who they choose to be the legal expert. Now, let me boil down to you what it is they're ticked off about. So here's here's actually the first line from this article. When U.S. District Judge, remember, she's now a federal judge, Catherine Kimball Mazel tossed out the federal government's transportation mask mandate on Monday, she relied in part on her interpretation of the term sanitation. Write that down, sanitation. They're claiming that because she applied a definition to sanitation that she screwed it all up. The 10-letter word, it says, can be found in the Public Health Service Act, a sprawling 1944 law that gave federal government certain powers to respond in a public health emergency. Now, just as a little constitutional aside for you, okay, just as a little side note, little homework for those of you who want to be deeper than a millimeter. Go look in Article 1. Go look and find in Article 1 where Congress is delegated the authority to legislate and govern over health, public health. If you're going to do that, Come back after you've done that. I want you to listen to the whole show, right? But do that. Come back and put in the comment section below the article section and clause that you found where Congress in Article 1 is delegated the authority to legislate public health. Go ahead. Leave it in the comments below. And then I want you, because really the CDC is not the legislative, you know, it's not Article 1, it's not under Congress. The CDC is under the executive branch. Go ahead as a follow-up homework, like extra credit. Look at Article 2, where the power of the executive branch is delegated. And tell me the article section and clause where the executive branch is delegated the authority to regulate public health even in emergencies. When you find it, leave it in the comments below. I'll just, I'll just leave that there, okay? So, now, the problem that they have is because the public health law, the Public Health Service Act, is actually, uh, has this word sanitation without definition. Imagine that, a sprawling 1944 legislative act that doesn't have a definition for every word in it. 
Generally speaking, legally speaking and logically speaking, when legislation does not add a definition in the glossary of terms, it's because, and every legitimate lawyer knows this, every legitimate professor knows this, that the definition is expected to be a standard textbook dictionary definition. Can you imagine how long a written law would have to be if every word used had to be defined? So the idea, they claimed she's a textualist. No, a textualist doesn't go to the dictionary, all right? The textualist doesn't go to a dictionary. That, that is even a misapplication of that term. When you do not understand the context, you go to the legislative history. The legislative history as to the definition of sanitation was silent. So when it's silent, then you go to the next definition, which will be the standard definition for that time. What does it say in the dictionary? That's exactly what she did. So, um, let me see. Specifically, the law says that if the government is trying to prevent the spread of communicable diseases, it can, quote, provide for such inspection, fumigation, disinfection, sanitation, pest extermination, destruction of animals or articles found to be so infected or contaminated as to, the, as to be sources of dangerous infection to human beings and other measures as in his judgment may be necessary. This is the ridiculous thing. To provide for in such inspection, fumigation, disinfection, sanitation, pest extermination. The CDC claims that the authority to mandate a mask on every person in America falls under the, under the word sanitation. The judge is like, what? What? I'm just reading this. It can provide for such inspection, fumigation, disinfection, sanitation. Right? The director of the CDC, the director of health, as his judgment may be necessary, provide for sanitation. What exactly is a mask mandate? How exactly is a mask mandate providing for sanitation? Because that's what the judge said. He's like, look, I'm going to look this up on in the dictionary because there's no legislative intention to this word sanitation. There's no definition in the legislation itself. So let's look. Can mask fall in the term of sanitation? <sighs> nope, it does not fall. She says sanitation means wearing, uh, let's see, sanitation uh, could have been taken to mean either actively cleaning something or measures to keep something clean. When you look up sanitation, that's what it is. Actively cleaning something or measures to keep something clean. Wearing a mask cleans nothing, she says. At most, it traps virus droplets. It actually makes things dirty but neither sanitizes the person wearing the mask nor sanitizes the conveyances, meaning planes, trains, automobiles. 
It does not fumigate. It does not pest exterminate. It doesn't do any of these other things. And when you look at these words alongside the term sanitation, how can you possibly, possibly come up with a definition that a mask mandate requires, uh, it fits into the term of sanitation? Look, this is just absolute lunacy because the left woke can't handle it that a judge has simply declared that a bunch of unelected bureaucrats have to follow their own stinking rules and they can't make it up as they go along. This is what their opinion said. Her opinion said they didn't follow the rules and they didn't give us a good enough reason to mandate masks. This is kind of a contention that I have with Mizell. She didn't say there's no authority. She didn't say the CDC is unconstitutionally established. She said, if the CDC is going to do this, they got to follow their own rules and they got to give a better excuse. Isolating this word sanitation is not a good enough excuse. She even says, yes, there is a a need in society to be concerned about public health and to take proactive measures. But guess what? They didn't follow their own rules and they didn't give enough, enough excuse. By the way, she didn't just flat out vacated it. She vacated it and sent it back to the CDC. Meaning, if the CDC could do the same thing following their own rules, if they could do the same thing, giving a good excuse, that according to Mizell, they're welcome to go ahead and reestablish their mask mandates on plane, trains, and automobiles. But the fact that they've all gone hair on fire proves to me that she's right. They don't have a good excuse. If they could follow their own rules to get it done, they would have followed their own rules from the get-go to get it done. So they know they can't follow their own rules to get it done. What other articles did I miss there, Kate, uh, Christian? Uh, Give me the headlines and I'll see if we want to go back to them. Trump judge's opinion striking down the airplane mask mandate uh, is a legal disaster. Okay, and the next one? Um, is that the only one I missed? The mask mandate shutdown reminds us that the judicial. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, that one's called the mask mandate. What now? Shutdown reminds us that the judiciary matters. Okay. All right. Yeah. This is from the Washington Examiner. Put that one up, Christian, because I love this one. I'm glad you reminded me that I skipped over some. So this is amazing. All right. So this is written in the Washington Examiner by a guy named Rich Jackson Richmond. Now, um, this headline, right? The mask mandate shutdown reminds us that the judiciary matters. I love this because 
every other day of the year. These media outlets hate the founding fathers. They hate everything about the Constitution, except when somebody does something that proves that, that, you know, that, that shows that the founders were right and it favors their opinion, right? So when somebody does something that ticks them off, now all of a sudden they're going to be quoting the founding fathers. Check this out. Federalist 78, no less, right? Uh, Richmond says, uh, Catherine Kimball Mazel, who sits in the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Florida, wrote that the mandate exceeded the CDC's statutory authority, improperly invoked the good cause exception to notice and comment rulemaking, and failed to adequately explain its decisions. Because our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully, even in pursuit of desirable ends, the court declares unlawful and vacates the mask mandate. Mizell underscored the importance of the government following its administrative responsibilities and that the executive branch may not act arbitrarily. Well, good God. Thank you. See, everybody in America, left, right, and out of their mind, ought to realize that we don't want an arbitrary government. But you realize these people who are ticked off about Mizell are actually in favor of an arbitrary government because they're too stupid to know how that actually comes back and bites them in the butt. Let's see. Alexander Hamilton wrote in Federalist Number 78, whoever attentively considers the different departments of power must perceive that anybody in my uh, River School of Government year number one class right now in your Constitution 3 class, listen up. We're going to be doing, we're going to be studying the federal judiciary next week, and we're going to be talking about Federalist 78. Those of you who are students at libertyfirstsociety.com, you want to have the full explanation, understanding of what Matt, what Hamilton writes here in Federalist 78, go to libertyfirstsociety.com, sign up to be a member, if you're not already a member, and take the class on the judiciary, you will understand what is being said. So he says, Alexander Hammer wrote in Federal 78, quote, whoever attentively considers the different departments of power, legislative, executive, judicial, must perceive that in a government in which they are separated from each other, which we have separation of powers, or wait, we're supposed to have separation of powers, the judiciary, from the nature of its functions, will always be the least dangerous to the political rights of the Constitution because it will be least in its capacity to annoy or injure them. Let me go ahead and I'm going to go ahead. You're not going to be able to see this on the screen because I'm doing this on my screen. But let me go ahead and pull up what else Hamilton says in there, because what he says is really, really important. I'm just going to go ahead and lay this out for you. I've got a whole class on this, okay? Madison, or Hamilton says, uh, that's 83. See, we go into this whole study. The judiciary, on the contrary, has no influence over either the sword or the purse. 
no direction either of strength or of the wealth of the society and can take no active resolution whatsoever. You're catching that can take no active resolution whatsoever. It may be it may truly be said to have neither the force, neither force nor will, but merely judgment and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm, even for the efficacy of its judgment. How amazing is that? The least powerful branch. He even actually says that. The least powerful branch. Look at what, Ham what Madison writes. Uh, no, wait, that's the wrong spot. Sorry. Um, I've got these quotes all lined out here. Oops, sorry. The weakest of branches. There it is. He says... It proves in, this is Hamilton now, it proves incontestably that the judiciary is beyond comparison the weakest of the three departments of power, that it can never attack with success either of the other two. You see, we have separation of powers for a specific reason. And in that, that separation of powers, the judicial branch is the least powerful of all the branches. Because you see, the judicial branch does not have the authority to write law. That's reserved to the legislative branch. The judicial authority, the judicial branch has no authority to execute laws. That is reserved to the executive branch. So as Hamilton said, they got no power. The problem is in the judiciary today, or no, let me back that up a little bit. In American society today, the people actually believe that judicial opinions are the law of the land. You've heard that, right? Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. Uh, no, it's not. It is a judicial opinion that has neither force nor legislative authority. A judicial opinion that has no ability, that has no ability to enforce itself, that it relies on the executive branch to enforce it. The weakest of branches. So here we have a situation where a judge has said, guess what? We're not going to allow an agency to use the word sanitation to mean mask mandate. And the left woke have all lost their mind. But at the same time, the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Silent E-Explosive Department of the Executive Branch, 
defines little bitty pieces of plastic this big as a gun. And the woke leftist progressives don't put their hair on fire when the ATF is allowed to take a little bitty piece of plastic and define it as a gun. By the way, this is why we are supposed to have a judiciary that not interprets constitution, but applies law to the standard of the constitution. So every judge, if we vetted every judge from a constitutional standard, every judge would render opinions that said bureaucrats don't get to write law and bureaucrats don't get to isolate undefined terms in ridiculous arbitrary, insane ways. So to the leftist woke progressives that have their stinking hair on fire because a judge said that the cities that the health department can't take the word sanitation and somehow divine, somehow invent an illogical, absurd, preposterous connection to mask mandate. And yet they'll stand by and let a little bitty piece of plastic be defined as an entire gun. So unless you're going to get your hair on fire about the little piece of plastic defined by a gun, shut your mouth about the, about the judge saying the executive agency can't make an absurd, preposterous application that the word sanitation is the equivalent to a power to make every American wear a mask. Just saying. Now, because I like to be an equal opportunity, you know, critic, I'm not just going to stick it to the, the uh, progressive woke leftists. Right. I just, you know what? Before I do that, let me. No, no, no. Wait. This is just. We'll save that article for some other time because that's gonna pull us off into the weeds a little bit. There's so much here, <laughs> Christian. There's so much here I want to cover, and I have this little voice in my ear. It's JC's voice saying, "Don't." have such an a broad show that people don't can't follow you so my mind i just i feel like i have you here right you're watching now you want to be a part of this so while you're here i want to give you everything that you can handle right so i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna be wait so to give me a break a minute to sort of wrap this show up for you with the last program the last thing today christian i want you to go ahead and set up and get ready to play our non-compliant to trailer. Play the one that you played already, not the new one. We, you guys know we have non-compliant. What? Some of you don't know we have a documentary called non-compliant? You got to go to noncompliantmovie.com and watch it so you can get caught up because we're about to release non-compliant too. And we have some trailers for you. So, Go ahead, Christian, play this trailer that gives you a feel for non-compliant to subtitled, 
the sheriff. Pastor stood in the pulpit and said, government doesn't own my church, it's under the head of Christ, and government cannot shut down my church. And this sheriff arrested him for it. We're not stopping, we'll never stop, we'll never comply. It'll be a cold day in hell with the devil singing Frosty the Snowman. We will never bow and we'll never comply. It's time for you to stand up and say no. <laughs> How awesome is that? You want to partner with us on this. Don't miss out on the opportunity to help us bring this to everybody. The film company that did non-compliant is doing non-compliant too. This is a non-profit film. Partner with us right now. Push pause. Go to noncompliantmovie.com. Make your tax-deductible donation. Partner with us so this movie, we want to get this movie out before November. I'm not going to tell, I, you can imagine why we want to get this movie out before November. And when you partner with us, you make that possible. We've got to pay the film company. They've got kids to feed, all right? The kids, the kids, the kids. Just get Christians laughing back there. The kids, the kids. No, I'm, I'm just seriously. Partner with us. How important is this to you? How important is this? Because it's really important to me. We're we're putting our life into this, right? So partner with us. Go right now. Tax deductible. Don't wait till December for your tax write-off. Right now. Don't give the IRS money, right? So here we go, guys. Yeah, give non give give non-compliant to more money than the IRS. How's that? I think that's a good plan, right? So check this out on Fox News titled Tarmac Tirade. Woman opens emergency exit and flees airplane down inflatable slide. Man, why don't I ever get to be in those exciting things? Although, you know, um, I was on the plane when the guy was kicked off for, um, I mean, I took the video of the guy being kicked off in the very beginning of the mask mandate, the young black man with the uh, Trump, the voter, black voters for Trump, and he had a Trump mask and it triggered, oh my gosh, it triggered the flight attendants. They could hardly breathe. They were like, <laughs> so they tried to, they, they kicked him off because he said he wasn't wearing his mask. But he was doing exactly what he said. He'd take out his mat, take a drink, put it back up. But they were apoplectic, And so they kicked him off. So that was part of it, right? So this woman opens the emergency exit while the plane is, uh, you know, pulling away from the gate. And the inflatable slide, or while they're sitting at the gate, they hadn't cross-checked, right? So when you hear them say cross-check, what they're saying is that let's verify to each other that the doors are locked and the inflatable thing won't come out. So they hadn't done the cross check thing yet. And so they open the door and poof, 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 the inflatable thing comes out. The woman jumps out of the plane, screaming. 
just going nuts. Christian, what would you have thought if you, because you've been flying, you've flown with us. I probably would have jumped off with her. Just to go down the slide? Yeah. Because that would have been fun, right? That would have been fun. So, uh, football player. Um, oh, man, I forgot his name. Anyway, he uh, – and I cut it off the picture, right? Put the first one up. He types, sitting on a plane, a lady is pissed. Lady pulls the emergency inflatable slide to escape the plane. Lady is running wild through the tarmac. Cops have arrived. Flight ruined. Memories na- made noise. That's like some kind of slang for nice, right, Christian? Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Christian is often my generational interpreter when I don't really get what's going on. So, anyway, noise. I mean, that was pretty obvious, though, right? Yeah. Why would you say it like that? Why wouldn't you? Why would you go through the extra trouble of putting in an extra word, letter? Why don't you say nice? I don't know. Okay. Because is there like some emphasis or something there? I don't know. So when you see this picture, this is actually from Twitter. Um, you don't know what's going on. So the guy below, the comment below, can they can see that, right? The Michael Sawyer comment? Okay, yeah? yeah. Okay, yeah. so it says, where did this woman come from? Don't tell me, Florida. Now let's go back to the Fox article. Tarmac tirade, woman opens emergency exit. You got that one up there? Okay. So we know, and and I'm going to show you another tweet in there later, but as Fox tells us, if you scroll down into the article itself, a California woman went on a, oh, she's not from Florida, Christian. She's from California. A California woman went on a tirade against airline workers and escaped an airplane through the emergency exit and inflatable slide just before takeoff in Buffalo, New York. Oh, that's right. He's a a Buffalo Bills player. Okay. Do you do you watch football, Christian? Uh yes, I do. You do? Yes. Oh. Okay. All right. So the woman we even know, she's from California. We even know her her name, Cynthia McKnight reportedly ran around on the airport tarmac before being apprehended by police. McKnight's flight was aboard in an American Airlines flight bound for Chicago. Well, that's probably, I I don't ever fly American Airlines. Anyway, she faces a number of charges. Um, Oh, Spencer Brown is his name. There we have it. Spencer Brown is an offensive tackle for the NFL's Buffalo Bills, was on the plane, and tweeted about the incident. The pilot was forced to return the plane to the gate following the incident. And McKnight's daring escape comes as airline workers are seeing an uptick in unruly passengers with many of the encounters centering on masks. Major airlines ended mask requirements on Monday, blah, blah, blah. Does this article tell us why she made this, why she whacked out? Uh, no, it does not. Huh. It does not. I'll save you the trouble. It does not. So Michael Sawyer put that picture back up there with Spencer. Uh, tweet. Michael Sawyer says, where did this woman come from? Don't tell me Florida. Well, we know it's not Florida. It's actually California. Now put the next one up that I have for you there, Christian, the one with the blue circles on it. 
And Michael Sawyer continues and says, one of those no mask, no mask, natural folks, huh? And and then the people start saying, no, she's from California. Todd says she was complaining that the mask mandate ended. So it's doubtful that she was from Florida. <laughs> Did you catch that? She's from California. Well, Michael Sawyer was trying to take a crack at Floridians and was trying to take a crack at people who objected to masks. And that backfired on him. So there you have it, the chaos that ensues when government exercises power not authorized and the chaos that ensues when people who cannot live in liberty, when people who would rather be slaves and subjects to a king actually get their freedom back. They can't handle it. They got to jump off a plane. Jump off a plane. Well, that's all we have for the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. I am been my pleasure all the way around. I think this show went long today. So uh, God bless you guys. And remember, JC will be back on Friday. Don't forget to go to Noncompliant and watch the movie so that we can show you uh, Noncompliant 2 and it will make more sense. Christian, let's go ahead and do the non-compliant two trailer that you just showed as our exit today. How's that? Okay. God bless you guys. Are we ready? Pastor stood in the pulpit and said, government doesn't own my church. It's under the head of Christ and government cannot shut down my church. And this sheriff arrested him for it. We're not stopping. We'll never stop. We'll never comply. It'll be a cold day in hell. With the devil singing Frosty the Snowman, we will never bow and will never comply. It's time for you to stand up and say no.